Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the This is Fran Lewis and I'm waiting for the author of Status 6 to call in He has not called in yet and I'm not really sure what's happening uh, This book is um, deep Deep beneath the Arctic Ocean, a covert team of Chinese operatives use stolen U.S. technology to capture Russia's newest attack submarine. Loaded with 100 megaton nuclear torpedoes, the sub is headed west. And I'm waiting for the author to call in, and I'm going to check email him again. 819-9045. And he has not called in. I have no idea. 9045. And I'm going to say call. And if he doesn't call in within the next 10 minutes, I'm going to delete the show. Um, My book, Population Zero, is coming out on June 26th. I'm really excited about it. And this was supposed to be a very interesting show today in this Memorial Day, but he already knew. Um, NCIS Special Ops Agent John Shea is a former SEAL Team Team 2 operator activated for a mission in the Arctic. He pairs with British British scientist Kate Barrett to battle a ticking clock. Trained operatives and three Army Marmadas today, they must find and stop the world's most lethal submarine. Now I'm going to try to get him on Facebook. And hopefully he'll call in. Call in. The interview. I guess he's not doing it. I can't guess. I'm not playing guessing games anymore. Three four seven eight eight four nine zero four five. Okay, I can. Oh, there he is, finally. Cheryl, this is friend. He didn't call in. What do I do? He has Craig's. I emailed him and everything, and he has not called in. I'm going to wait about um, five more minutes, and then I'm going to have to cancel the show unless somebody can get in touch with him. I emailed him and I Facebooked him on the private message, and he's not here. I tried. So email me and tell me what you want me to do because I can't sit here and talk to myself. My book is coming out June 26th. And Partners in Crime is going to do a phenomenal job with it. It's a book. It's called Partners in, uh, Population Zero, World Without People. I don't know what happened to the author today. I just found his email. I emailed him, and I definitely did whatever. So I can only wait here for another two minutes because I can't talk to myself for the entire time. That's not good. So somebody please email me and tell me what do you want me to do. I can't move the show. I can't change the time. I can't do anything because Blog Talk won't let me. 
And this book was very, very interesting. Um, I did put the review out. So let me see. Maybe I could read part of that on my phone. Status 6 is the title of the book. And I give up. <laughs> I can't stay on here for 20 minutes talking to myself. I don't know what happened. I have no idea. Okay. I'm going to read what I what what it says. I just read the the promo of the book and it's really interesting and it's it's kind of scary. Um he is um, graduate from page to page, the global crisis revealed in this book is so too real that could happen in the headlines. The characters are well nuanced and private, and this review is on Amazon today. I just put it there, and I don't know. I'm, I'm going to wait another five minutes, and then I'm just going to end the episode, and then if you want to do it at another time, I don't have anything until September. So somebody told me, email me and let me know what you want me to do. Because I have no idea. I emailed him, I Facebooked him, and obviously it's Memorial Day and he's not coming. And I could have done something else. What can I do? Okay. Yeah, she's on, but yeah. He's not. Okay. I'm going to wait another two minutes, and then I'm going to just end the show. So for those of you that want to read Population Zero, which is coming out June 26, it's all about nine worlds that you don't want to live in, a world without sun, a world without people, a world that's cold, a world full of ice, a world of dilapidated forest, and I invite a dead person to come back. I invite a dead person to come back, and... um get to experience what I what I what I went through and what what they they went through and what these people went through. So um yeah. Yeah, okay, Cheryl's on it, but we'll see. I'm gonna wait another five minutes, yeah, because he's still not here. And I can't talk to myself for another twenty minutes. Okay, so let me tell you what's coming up next. Ah, I think he finally made it. Craig, is that you? William, is that you? That's me. Yeah, I apologize for that. I had trouble getting in. Oh, I didn't know if you were coming. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, welcome to Crazy This Year. Um, why did you start the novel with the encounter with the woman and the child? That was kind of different. Yes. I um, I wanted to ensure that there was... Uh, a a personal touch to this, and I think mm-hmm. it's important that anytime you have a hero in any story, that they're not just larger than life, they're not just capable of doing all of these things, but they also have what I call internal heroism, meaning that they can be personal, they can care about others, and actually James Rollins who taught me uh, how to do this, but uh, to endear a hero to the reader, it's important that we have show that they have this compassion and show that they can 
relate, especially to small children or maybe to animals, things of that nature. So I thought it was important to have that scene. That's interesting. I know, because I said, gee, you know, it was a nice touch for him. So tell us about John Shea and his past, and what is his new role now? I actually fashioned John Shea from a real-life person. I had met this gentleman when I was on tour with my book, Red November. It was a nonfiction book. And I was fascinated because this person was a former SEAL Team 2 operative, and I had a a colleague of mine, a, a friend who had been with SEAL Team 2, don't hear much about SEAL Team 2, but they are considered to be uh, as formidable, if you will, as SEAL Team 6. Of course, you've heard about SEAL Team 6 with the Bin Laden raid. But SEAL Team 2 is the only Arctic-trained team, and the training they go through is considered to be pretty close uh, in mm. terms of difficulty to SEAL Team 6. But this gentleman had been SEAL Team 2, and then he retired or left SEAL Team 2 and went into civilian life to become an NCIS agent. And I was fascinated by that. Uh, So I spent Mm. some time researching that and talked to some folks with NCIS in San Diego where I live and found that it's quite a bit different than the show and uh, Mm. in some cases even more fascinating than what we hear about on television. That is interesting. Your background is interesting too, because I read it up. Yes, read up on it yesterday. I seriously did. Oh, I I liked. Yeah, I did really. It's really like, oh my God, (laughs) it's impressive. Let me tell you. So, um, what is the first of all? I got. I was cold when I read the book because it's in the Arctic Ocean. Really, seriously, just the ice alone is enough. Um, And we're getting some of that up here now too. What is the reason that these trains were operating beneath the Arctic Ocean? And how was this technology stolen from the United States, which is probably possible, who knows, anymore? (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) spoiler alert. um, We are led to believe in the beginning of the book that (laughs) the ISEX camp, now this, it's called ISEX, it stands for Ice Exercises. And I originally found out about this through some friends of mine who worked for the Arctic Submarine Lab here in San Diego. I spent about a year uh, trying to get permission to be allowed to go up and allowed by the Navy to be able to go up and observe the ISIS operations. They set up camp. They bring in uh, equipment, and they actually build all these uh, facilities up up there for about a six-week time period, six to eight weeks, depending upon the year. And they have a couple of nuclear submarines go up and test different things underneath the Arctic ice because Mm. things are different up there than they are in, say, any other ocean. A lot of different um, water conditions and so on. So they have to test their navigation and their weapon systems and sonar and so on and a lot of new systems and so forth. And so I observed that, went aboard the USS Connecticut for several days underneath the Arctic ice. And that's what I decided to to write about. And so these, what we believe may be Chinese operatives, uh, essentially mm. attacked the base. They're looking for a device that allows them to be able to 
um, actually find and uh, perhaps even commandeer a Russian submarine. That's scary. And I'm sure some of this stuff is so, it may sound like fiction, but some of it is probably nonfiction, and we just don't know it until after it happens. That's scary. So. That's true. There are a lot of things in there that are nonfiction. A lot of the uh, information that's in there came directly from uh, from the folks who were participating. See, I know that. You see, I actually read these things. <laughs> I read very carefully. Right. And when people use research, <laughs> I actually look it up to see... Oh, really? That is true. <laughs> so, one of my favorite characters is Kate, and I like Bobby. Why did he meet Kate there and Bobby, and what were their jobs? So, Kate is a British scientist, and yeah. uh, part of that came from uh, I. I uh, my wife is actually from the UK, and so a lot of the mannerisms and the different mm-hmm. way of speech and so forth... Uh, I have a lot of experience in terms of how, how to get that correct, but I also you know, made, made sure that um, it was accurate. But I, I wanted to have that character because she is terrified of water, <laughs> and uh, mm. she's up in the Arctic surrounded by an ocean that's, uh, that's freezing. So the most terrifying place that she could possibly be. And... Uh, our hero, the main character, John, has uh, is just getting over the murder of his wife from the year before. And so it's difficult for him to even think about a relationship. But yet, during the circumstances, they need to rely on each other. And that creates this bond, uh, and they become quite close. And so that's really what I wanted to bring out, is that... Mm. She finally helps him to come out of this uh, terrible sadness that he has been going through and and help him, if you will, come back to life. Uh, and so that interaction is really what I wanted to bring out, uh, them helping each other to take a, a step back into life. And she had just left a married man she was having an affair with and so on. And so it's... Um, there's a lot of the uh, the relationship and call it a love mm. story, but it's really more about a redemption story. I know. You should see what I let. Well, you should see your book. What's left of it, anyway? I, I circle, underline. That's why I have to have print. Do I get the signs <laughs> and write notes to myself so that when I come finish the book, I have the book memorized, literally, and then I can write the questions that actually show people I actually read the book. And this one is just, is like if I give this to someone to read, they're gonna have it. They're not gonna be able to do it because, well, they will anyway. I, I I actually marked it up, which is a good sign because if I don't mark it up, it means I'm bored, which is which is really a bad sign. So this this is really <laughs> great. So what is status six? Oh, that scares you. Again, wait till you find out what this is. And what about Russia and China? How do they come into the picture? They they I don't like them. <laughs> well, uh, several years ago, before it became public, uh, because I have maintained contacts uh, within the the Navy and other government areas, I am privy to some information often years ahead of time. And I had learned about this new torpedo developed by the Russians called Status-6. 
Uh, they, mm. That was the code name back then. They have since publicly announced it and call, now call it Poseidon. And it's the largest torpedo ever built. It's ten times larger than anything that's ever been built. It has a miniature mm. nuclear reactor in it so that it can go almost forever. And it has what's called supercavitating technology. Now, this is kind of like a force field at the, um, at the front of the torpedo. Um, it, it came from technology they built years ago uh, that I wrote about in another book called Spies mm. of the Deep that allows it to attain speeds that are quite a bit, almost twice as fast as any of our, our torpedoes. So really concerning because it has a 100 megaton nuclear warhead. And it's really designed to take out choke points. There's about a half a dozen choke points where commerce um, goes through. And we, we saw the devastation of one of those that where a ship got lodged and cost tens of billions of dollars. Uh, so this is the Russians thinking that they built this torpedo to take out Strait of Hormuz or Panama Canal or whatever, um, or threatened to so they can uh, force their will. And so what we now have is a submarine that's controlled by AI technology, and how this is done actually came from another friend of mine who works for SpecWar. He gave me some inside information on that. And it, the AI brain goes crazy, uh, mm. and it's in control of six of these torpedoes. And so that's what our, our hero and heroine, uh, John and Kate, have to do is to find a way to um, keep this Russian submarine that's now gone crazy with an AI brain from wiping out uh, several of uh, U.S. cities on, along the West Coast. Except for the fact that somebody didn't want them to have it, right? So somebody decided to kidnap my three favorite people. And how come they were how come they were easily taken and who took them? Without giving away who took them, if you don't want to talk about those characters, but how did they, how did they get kidnapped? Another spoiler alert. So the supposed Chinese um, actually captured them separately, and it was yeah. uh, as, as we discover, and again, a little bit more of a spoiler alert. There may be uh, an inside connection that's going on, and so. Um, our our hero and heroine uh, had didn't suspect that these things were going to happen. No reason to suspect that they would. And so we mm. we again, it's important in any book that we have the bad guys, uh, bad guy, bad guys, whoever it might be, the, the antagonist, be in my opinion even more formidable. They have to be a step ahead and a little bit smarter, a little bit more capable because otherwise your hero, your heroine have, uh, or if it's the, the heroine and hero, depending upon how you've written your book, protagonist and co-protagonist, uh, always have to be a step behind through the second act of the play, so to speak. So that's what we see here uh, because that's what gives the story the, the excitement and the action and it's kind of like watching a sports game where your team is always a few runs behind or a touchdown behind whatever it is, and you're just you're on edge, hoping that you know they may pull it out at the end. So that's what we need to see. That's scary. So 
I hope I say these words the right way, y'all. There were two things that everybody wanted. What was it, the Ross and the Cubby? Why were they in such demand? Why did, what was so special about those two, those two particular things? Well, this is a the device that uh, I mentioned earlier that allows for the, if you will, detection and the capture of this Russian submarine. And it's a device that was built by the U.S. in order to be able to do this because of this new submarine that carries these torpedoes. And it was this is actually that part of it is true. There is a new submarine called the Cabaros, and there is a torpedo oh, wow. called Status Six that's been launched recently. So those are real. Uh, the device is not. I invented that and named it after um, a gentleman who has since passed. His name was Donald Ross, but I wrote about him in Red November. Uh, he was the first ever. Uh, gentleman to first person to ever graduate from Harvard University in three years, and he became a legend within the Navy. He solved many problems, wow. received a huge award from uh, Richard Nixon, and so on. And so uh, he actually worked for the labs, and I actually went out to those labs, the advanced research labs in Pennsylvania, again mm. for more of my nonfiction writing. And so it's all based on reality. So everything you're reading about except for the actual device itself, is all real. And so this device is what everybody's looking for. It's the MacGuffin, right? We, we um, learned about the MacGuffin. It's basically, um, you know, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock, uh, if you will, thing that everybody wants. Uh, in every store, you have to have your MacGuffin. It's the one thing that everybody's looking for. It's the, the holy grail, if you will, that everybody wants. And so that's what this device is. And the, the Russians want it. The Chinese obviously want it. And the U.S. wants it back. Well, then we have a character that I really like. And I felt so bad for her. That's Maria Estevan. Why does she think someone's out to kill the president? And what does the woman in the wheelchair have to do with that? With that, it's like, oh my God, I like Maria. I feel so bad for her. I do too. She's one of the coolest, funnest characters I've written about. I just really yeah, like her attitude. And so I had a another friend of mine who had a couple of brothers who actually worked for the Secret Service. And that fascinated me. So I, I learned some things. I did some digging and some exploring to find out uh, how the Secret Service actually works, behind-the-scenes stuff, so to speak. And so a lot of that's in there. She is a Secret Service agent, but she's getting up there in years and looking toward her retirement. And so she feels a little bit uh, um, overshadowed now by some of the younger folks, uh, but she's still – she still got it. You know, she she's a little bit smarter, one step ahead of some of the other folks and has a sixth sense about that. And so she has some suspicions about um, a gentleman working for this woman who is a widow of a senator and through that discovers that there's a plot. She thinks it's against the president. So you, this is the the subplot of the story that comes together in the end. So you don't know why um, this subplot is there until it starts to come together. 
and you realize there's a lot more going on here than, than what you're seeing on the surface. And she's I pursuing realize. this assassin. You know, she's pursuing this assassin, and then we find out why as the story comes together toward the end. So I was still worried about John and Kate and Bobby, but they're clever. <laughs> I have no fear. So the other character that I didn't trust. See, I'm very good at this. I'm getting good at this. I, I have lost count of how many books I've read. And as the Chinese ambassador, what was his what was his problem? And why does she want it? Why does she want to talk to him? That wasn't a good idea. But what can you do? Yeah, we have uh, with this subplot, <clears throat> which is Maria, who's the Secret Service agent, and she's. Yeah pursuing the assassin until the tables get turned. But this mm. this uh, Chinese ambassador, we find out again within the subplot and not trying to blow uh, <laughs> the uh, spoiler alert here, but um, yeah. we think the Chinese, and the Chinese again are the ones behind uh, wanting the, the Rostovice, the MacGuffin. And the Chinese ambassador perhaps is somehow involved in this. Uh, we don't know completely why until we get toward the end. And then we find some shocking things in relation to who's really behind this uh, within the U.S. government and how they got connected in with the Chinese ambassador. And so that's how the subplot unfolds toward the end. Maria and her counterpart, which is another NCIS agent, uncover this in their pursuit of the assassin and really what's going on. And uh, that, that I think, is where the story really gets fascinating because yep. um, all the chess pieces start to uh, to come together toward the end. You, 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 it's a, um, an aha moment where you go, oh, wow, I didn't realize uh, these people were actually behind what's what's really going on. I have read so many books, and it, I, they, I, I don't think anybody writes a book anymore with just one plot. There's always like two or three, and a subplot, but that's okay. It's 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 my reading background and as a reading person, reading masters and stuff that gets me through this, which is great because it keeps my mind going. <laughs> I think I would get bored if it was just like one straight plot and just like oh god, just another one, and this is different. So and the research is really great, and the fact that it's based on real facts and real people made it even better. So, this was a scene that's scary. How did you create the scene with Status Six being fired? And I love I love artificial intelligence. I think that's the greatest thing. How could the how can an artificial intelligence control what happens? That's scary. It is, and I mentioned the colleague of mine who actually is an author. An author, yeah. um, George Galvarisi, he uh, has written some wonderful books. He, he wrote uh, some of the Tom Clancy off-center books. And he helped me with, with understanding what's really going on with AI technology. And there were some um, studies done by the military, and they were concerned about what's called autonomous AI, which means that you allow the AI technology to – make its own decisions. You're basically uh, taking the gloves off, if you will, which is scary. What they discovered was that in one case, AI miss, 
uh, identified a baby with a bottle classified it as a, a young boy with a bat. No harm, no foul there, but what if you misclassified a fishing trawler for a gunboat? Right? So that's you don't want to have your what we call fire control or weapon systems. It's not controlling fires, it's controlling firing. Uh, and I was actually involved in that in the Navy myself as uh, weapon systems. And so knew a lot about this and connected with folks to really understand how to write this properly. And what was fascinating to me is the way the Kabaros uses its, um, the um, the status six torpedoes. It's almost like a you know imagine a six shooter revolver. There's six of these that can revolve around outside. So it's outside the the main hole, uh, the inner hole of the submarine. So it's surrounded by water, and these. Doors open up, and these things uh, can then go swim out, if you will, and then take off. And you know, imagine Kate, who's mm. terrified of water, uh, being forced mm. to go with John to help uh, keep these things from from being able to be fired. And then you've got these AI systems that have devices and uh, Terminator-like. Uh, <laughs> Mm. Um, robots, if you will, which again, this is all being developed, if not already there. This is not science fiction. This is actually science. It is now coming about mm. uh, within our new submarine systems and so forth. So I decided to bring that to life to, to find out what it would really be like if uh, something went wrong and the AI, AI system got out of control. I'm looking at page 206, and I'm going like, that's right, I remember this part. An an AI brain can control a submarine. That's scary. That is really scary. So I I, I remember the scene with Kate going down into the water, whatever, and I I don't like going into the water either. So I'm with her. So she was quite brave to do that, let me tell you, because some of us would just, like, say, oh, I don't think so. So there were two people that are involved in this, what did they hope to accomplish as, as a result of this? Why did they, what did they take Kate and all of them? What did they expect Bobby and her and all of them to do for them as a result of taking them? So you're, you're talking about the um, antagonists in, in taking Yeah, the so. antagonists, the two guys. Well, one, one, uh, one I, couldn't, I hate and the other one, well, that person, you know, what happens is different. So how, how did you create them? <laughs> Again, um, spoiler alerts here, but um, we do have a <laughs> female antagonist, and she and I fashioned her from some some real life people. What's happened yeah. over just the past decade now is women can serve aboard submarines. It wasn't the case during my time during the Cold War. It was men only, and now aboard submarines you can't have female. And I had met um, an ice – they call them ice pilots. And, mm-hmm. and essentially these are civilians who help – they're very familiar with the Arctic and the conditions and the area. And so they come aboard these submarines in Arctic conditions to help the navigation and so forth. Help the sub, the sub submariners get through this, 
and she is an ice pilot, but former submarine. She's an officer, Naval Academy graduate. And in the beginning, uh, she is working with our antagonists. And so uh, has a basically is involved in the capture of John and mm. Kate, refuses to allow them to be killed. She is seeing them as potentially, well, of course, Kate can't be killed because her and her sidekick, Bobby, who's this engineer, are needed in order to help get this device functional and operational. And so that's why they were captured. And they keep John alive as well because uh, mm. former SEAL Team 2, uh, they see potentially some use for him later on, and so that's why he's kept alive, at least for the time being. Um, but you know, we never know when that usefulness will will expire, and so that's uh, part of the tension. But we see her character really start to – there's a character arc there, and there's a change. We, we really discover who she is and what she's really doing toward the end. So yeah. Um, won't do the spoiler alert, but it is uh, not what you. No, expect. we can't tell anybody more. But um, is this a standalone, or is it? Is it are you bringing this guy back? I have to that. Definitely out. bringing this guy back. So this is the start of what we call NCIS Special Operations. So again, um, a departure from what we see in the television series. Think of these guys as kind of like. Uh, uh, you know, the this, this special victims unit sort of stuff, they are only uh-huh. activated for special operations, and that is where we see them uh, in, the, in several future books that are now being written. Um, we see them only called in where things are outside what NCIS would normally do. Now, NCIS gets involved in a lot more than what we see in television, mm-hmm. and that's what I learned from behind the scenes. They're involved in terrorist operations, uh, undercover operations all around the world, as well as some of the the more uh, traditional police or homicide detective sort of things they do uh, in the television show. And and they do get involved with some of that in the television show, but this takes takes us well outside what you would see there because they're involved in some things that um, are off the grid, so to speak. See, I knew that. I knew this was just the beginning. I'm getting good at this, really. And I don't really ask that. I, I, I actually don't always ask somebody if it's a standalone or whatever, unless, of course, I'm ready for the next one. Otherwise, I would just, like, say, oh, okay. No, I'm serious. If I don't like the book, I'll just say, oh, okay. No, I really like this. This is interesting and kept my interest. I read very fast. I'm a speed reader, so this took me, like, an hour and a half. But it took me a lot longer. Your review is on Just Reviews, everybody. And you could all read it. It's really good. Um, and I didn't give away anything. At least I don't think so. So how did you create the scenes with Bobby and Kate trying to take control of the combi and the watch? He's very talented. So you have to bring him back, too, seriously. He's great with that computer. And he just he just knows what to do. How did you create him and the scenes? I, um, I wanted to have some character flaws within each of the character. I think that helps round them out. And so what we discover with Bobby is that uh, he's a recovering alcoholic. And yes, that sounds a bit cliche. We've seen that before. But in this case, it's handled from a very different perspective. 
in terms of what he's tasked to do. He's typically the guy who is a support person. He's behind the scenes. He's the smart guy we've all seen, but he doesn't see himself as a hero. He he just wants to be the tech head who solves, you know, puts his head down and solves a technical issue. And he lets Kate, you know, take the point, if you will, and, and be that kind of person. That's not what he wants to be. He doesn't feel suited for that. But now he's thrust into this position where he has to be a hero. He has to help solve um, a, a serious technical issue here and get things working properly. And then it's all on his shoulders, mm-hmm. and the stress is just too much for him. And so, you know, he's looking at this uh, open bottle of alcohol, wondering if it's time to just say screw it. Uh, but he finally, <clears throat> again, spoiler alert here, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he is tasked with being able to solve today. And so, does he? Well, I guess you'll have to read the book to find out. Well, before I forget, Wednesday, the Ocean's Grave, her Ocean's Grave, Dick Belsky, a.k.a. Jenna Perry, his alter ego. This book was fantastic. Um, that's coming on on Wednesday. On Thursday, I have to give this person a lot of credit. It's J.F. Whitaker, and the title of the book is The Day Before I Died. And he talks about how he wanted to kill himself, what he did, and how he overcame it. And it was really probably one of the most heartbreaking stories, and he asked to talk about it, and I think that's a great idea. On the 7th, the one and only Don Bentley is here with Target Acquired, the new Tom Clancy. And I get the first interview. How lucky can I get? And on the 8th, John Gilstrap with Crimson Phoenix. And on the t- 10th, The Electric Kingdom. And on the 14th, I'm trying something I've never done before. It's a book about dating, Make Your Move by John Brigger. And he talks about the art of dating and what girls should know and what guys should know. And I'm glad I don't have to deal with that anymore, which is really good. So some other characters that we didn't bring in, and that's the cast of the Connecticut. How is Captain Jackson, how is Jackson um, proved as a captain? And how come you brought that in? That was interesting. We don't want to leave him out. Absolutely. Uh, he's uh, African-American captain of the Connecticut, and I base that character on other COs that I have mm-hmm. been involved with. Uh, the actual captain of the Connecticut that I interviewed, um, Commander Varney, wonderful gentleman. His father um, um, <clears throat> was a fireman, actually, and so – uh, he talked about what it took in order to be a leader that he'd learned from his father and how to command a submarine. And I spent some time with that crew mm-hmm. and saw how efficient and incredible they were. And I was reminded of my time aboard submarines and just that camaraderie, but also the effectiveness of our submarine force. It's always mm-hmm. been impressive to me. And I wanted to bring that out. And so the crew and what they were able to do and how yeah. they rose to the occasion – is a character in and of itself. Uh, the captain is a character as well. Um, you know, he's thrust into this position uh, where he's got to make some tough decisions and uh, maybe bend some rules and so on. Uh, he's a by-the-book kind of guy, but now he's got to maybe step outside of those boundaries in order to not only save his crew but perhaps even save the world. So it's uh, 
I wanted to bring that out is um, you know, just a tre- tremendous example of leadership. Uh, I've written a book about leadership, mm. Seven Secrets of Neural Leadership, and interviewed some just phenomenal, phenomenal leaders, military, civilian, and wanted to bring out what I had learned from them, not only in the protagonist, but also in the other characters. Too often we see these heroes that are just so larger than life and they're unreal and they're just able to, uh, you know, leap tall buildings with a single town, so to speak. And I wanted to have characters who were, were more human, people we could really relate to and had to rely on each other. Leadership mm. isn't about being the one who does it all. Leadership is about working with a team and, and being vulnerable and helping inspire your team to greatness. And that's what I wanted to bring out in this book. You did. Now, here's a hard one. As a captain of a ship or even a pilot on a plane, what happens, what dangers do they experience? And what happens when they lose people? That must be heartbreaking and scary. How do they deal with that? It is. Yeah, it was tough. And, uh, I had to ask some tough questions when I was doing the interviews for this. There oh, sorry. <laughs> board. Yeah, it was it was some it was tough for me to do this because I had to understand what goes on aboard a submarine where you know, there may be a casualty. And you know, I have come close in my time to experiencing this. We had some very serious casualties and almost lost some people aboard the submarine I was on. Uh, during some situations, and um, and so it was tough for me to do the interview. And I, you know, uh, I had some people aboard that submarine who felt that, um, you know, maybe uh, I was being a little bit tough on the corpsmen uh, and not treating them very well. And that wasn't my intention mm. at all. I sincerely apologize uh, to anyone who was aboard the Connecticut to me may have thought that, but I wanted to bring this out because I thought it was important to understand how difficult things need to be dealt with and how well-trained submariners are to deal with them. And I didn't want to write about this incorrectly. And so that's, I had to ask these tough questions in order to get it right. Uh, and, And so that was a tough part for me. I uh, felt bad about it, but it, it needed to be done because I didn't want to get it wrong. Now, here's another strange question. You know, you listen to the news, and you listen to everybody blame everybody else. Every country blames everybody else because they don't want to get blamed for it or take credit for what they did, except the bad people that constantly say, it was us, and that's even scarier. So why allow everyone to think that the Chinese were by fault, and how would the Russians benefit if the Chinese get blamed for what happened, and the Chinese and the Russians seem to go at it in quite a number of my novels. <laughs> we do have yeah, a, I know. Uh, international intrigue there. It's um, you know sometimes the Russians and Chinese cooperate with each other, and then sometimes yeah. they uh, <laughs> go head to head with each other. It's just you know that's what is so intriguing about the geopolitical situation that we're in currently mm-hmm. um, but it's also kind of frightening and so I wanted to bring that out that there there are times when you know again each of these countries have their own agenda and that's what we see here is that 
because of the situation that had happened, and again, uh, without uh, spoiling the plot, uh, there are reasons why the operatives who take over this Russian submarine, who capture Kate and John, need to look like uh, Chinese. And then we discover what the real agenda is. And so so basically what we see here is everyone who uh, is involved wants the MacGuffin, which is this Ross device. Uh, We have the Russians with their submarine uh, trying to gain back control of the submarine uh, and also the device that can find their submarine. And then we have the Chinese – uh, who are concerned that uh, with this, the weapons aboard the submarine could, could wreak havoc upon them. And they want the device for obvious reasons. Um, it gives them a, a leg up on the Russians to perhaps um, get their political will done. And then, of course, the uh, U.S., for all the obvious reasons, needs to keep these um, technologies out of the hands of if either of the other two. So it's a round robin. Uh, it, you know, really is uh, pitting the three against each other. And in the middle of this, you have Kate and John, surrounded by these three armadas. So what happens if Status Six actually gets out? What happens if they actually do this? The, this whatever it is gets exploded. What happens then? Well, I think. Uh, most of us, Americans, Europeans, perhaps have heard about it, but don't really stop to think about how critically important the sea lanes are to our survival. Ninety percent of what you and I buy pretty much anywhere, Costco, you name it, uh, comes to us via sea lanes. All, right, all the toilet paper that we had shortages on during the, the uh, coronavirus that comes to us in most cases across sea lanes. So if those choke points I mentioned earlier become choked, if any of those sea lanes are compromised even for a short period of time, as we've seen recently, that can be quite devastating to our to our global commerce. If mm. it gets bad enough, we could wind up in red lines. That's how bad this is. So we have to make sure those sea lanes are open. And, yes, it requires us to ensure we have – our naval power, well-equipped and capable. And so that is a keep up with the Joneses situation. Unfortunately, we don't have a choice. We can't allow the Russians to control the northern sea route, which is opening up, and we have no control there. Uh, We can't allow the Chinese to control South China Sea lanes. We can't allow the Iranians to, to control the Strait of Hormuz. If any of those things happen, we, again, could have some serious economic issues. They could turn the screws on us to get their will done, and we'd have no choice because we have to make Mm. sure that we don't have an economic crisis here in the U.S. It could literally cause an economic crisis that they can control more than one or two of the choke points. Now, I'm so glad you did this. I just crossed out a question because I didn't want to give away a spoiler alert. Maria, how does she come back at the end? Again, I love back? her character. I love this, I love she, this lady. <laughs> she really, uh, she's, 
he's quite a special character. Really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but uh, we do see at the end that we have a special task force that's created uh, that can bring this forward into other books. But she uh, looks like she. Um, and again, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but um, we we see one of the antagonists, this assassin, um, and she it looks like she's lost the battle. And so uh, for those who don't want to have the spoiler alert, cover your ears. <laughs> but uh, perhaps... Uh, at the end of the day, we see this character actually uh, survive the day and in doing so uh, wind up uh, putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and uh, pulling the rug on some very high-level characters in this book uh, who think they've won, but at the end uh, actually wind up not so well off. Now, wait a minute. Also, I just looked at the book again. I have the book in front of me. I can't yet. This is very important. Because if I don't have the book in front of me, I can't do anything. <laughs> I have to be able to refer back. How come you, na- you named this artificial intelligence, didn't you? It's got a name, doesn't it? You call, you, you call it, it something. See how, <laughs> it I, see how I know? <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, Gregory. And, uh, yeah, so um, named after an actual uh, Russian, famous Russian uh Genius, if you will, who um, oh, nice. won a million dollar prize for solving some problems and uh, refused the money and uh, stayed a pauper. But um, he was quite quite famous uh, for being one of the most intelligent people in the world, really. Uh, genius, absolute, absolute genius. And so I wanted to give the character a name, and we actually wind up inside the head of the AI. And this comes from mm. my technology background. I spent quite a bit of time researching and understanding AI, working with a number of security companies in the AI world mm. in terms of how AI actually works. And the thing is, we don't really know. Uh, AI yeah. programmers turn AI loose inside a call it a, call it a black box, and it does its own thing. I mean, there have been AI systems that have learned their own language between them, two AI systems talking to each other, and we have no idea what they're saying to each other. This is what can happen with uncontrolled AI. And so Grigori has his own personality, if you will, in terms of how he views the world and what he's thinking. And we find out going inside his head, well, how does an AI system actually think? And that's what I wanted to bring out. You know what scares me? I mean, I've read like over 10,000 books, maybe more. I'm serious. In the last 12 years, it's scary. I do. I could read like 10 a week if I'm in the mood to read them. Depends on how good they are. And um, I wonder sometimes if the world is ever going to be really taken over by AIs and they won't need humans to run computers anymore or even run the government (laughs) or this is going to be an artificial intelligence world. That's what's scary, (laughs) even more scary. Because so many people, you know, are getting into it. So how did you create the final scenes? And what's next for this team? Because you let you the last couple of pages let let me know that this wasn't a standalone. That's how I know. <laughs> That's correct. So again, um 
if you don't want to know what happens, I won't give too much away here. But uh, no, we can't tell people. The... You got to read this book. <clears throat> you got to read it. <laughs> you want to read the book. But essentially, what I wanted to do was to show that um, there's a lot more going on in the world than than what we know about. And so we we set up uh, this team to go forward into the next adventure, so to speak. But the reality is that um, you are right. It is scary that AI systems can have this much control. And that's where I bring out what we call friendly and unfriendly AI systems. Again, this is what, what researchers are really terrified about. And it, there is really no such thing. It's really friendly and unfriendly programmers or clueless and, uh, uh, and unclueless programmers who don't give AI systems enough boundaries. If you, if you don't give them boundaries and if your moral compass isn't in check, you could program an AI system to not think about the moral aspects, to not think about the unintended consequences. That's the scary part. It's a programmer who thinks, oh, I'm, you know, what's the problem? There's no issue here. We saw that a few years ago with what was going on with the uncontrolled things in the world with Google, Facebook, and so on, just doing what they thought they could they could uh, with gathering intelligence on people without asking permission. And we actually had some programmers within Facebook who said, I don't care. As long as I get my bonus at the end of the year, what do I care? Mm. It's this no moral compass in terms of allowing these programmers just to do whatever. That's Mm. the scariest part about any of the technology we're creating including AI. And that's what I wanted to bring out in this book is that we need to have some controls around this or we're going to have some serious consequences being paid at the end of the day. You bringing Gregory back in the next one? Is he coming back? My AI guy? Perhaps. Or something just like Gregory. Maybe it's Gregory's cousin. Uh, The next Mm -hmm. book deals with what is really scary that's oh, going God, on no. right now. <laughs> we have, uh, and and I was in involved in some of these missions during the Cold War. We were tapping communication cables mm-hmm. at a thousand feet deep. That's uh, brought out in my Spies of the Deep book and in Red November. And now we're concerned about these new submarines. Uh, one of them, the Losharik, that had a fire not long ago. It's a Russian submarine. Uh, they can go down to 15,000 feet deep. And so we have communication cables that connect uh, our countries and trillions and trillions of dollars worth of transactions go across these cables. And we have spotted these Russian Chinese submarines hoovering over areas where they could potentially either tap into them or cut them. And if this were to happen, it could be an economic crisis for us. So that's what we're going to talk about in the next book is uh, what might happen if uh, our communication cables were compromised. When is that coming out, just so I know to put it in my schedule? (laughs) Next year. Next year. Yeah, let me me tell you, my my show is booked until the end of November. So what can I say? (laughs) That's probably why I was like, oh, my God, I don't normally do things on, on Memorial Day. I said, but otherwise you would have had to wait till September. 
I'm serious. I have one whole date left in September, people. That's it. I, don't, I have. It's it's amazing, and this is this is fun actually. I really like doing this. So, where can everybody learn more about you? And um, uh, there's quite a number of people that I've told about the book, and they want it. And I explain to them that that's what you do. You go on Amazon and get it, right? Absolutely, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold, and a portion of the proceeds do benefit a veterans foundation that I'm a co-founder of called Us for Warriors, U.S., the number four, warriors.org. Always use your help there to uh, help veterans and their families. And uh, you can learn more about it at my website, wcraigreed.com, W-C-R-A-I-G-R-E-E-D.com, wcraigreed.com. Well, this has been definitely informative. I learned a lot. And for those of you that don't know, I don't. I didn't do any research when I wrote my book. I just made it up. And people have said I really did scare them. It's called Population Zero. The world. The cover the, the stories about the end of the world. Basically, it was supposed to be called the world without people, because there's no people in it. I just created a world of no sun, coldness, mist, fog, dead people in the forest, and I invited a dead person to come back and experience each of my worlds. Then I invited somebody to come back and experience all the worlds. And if you want to live in any one of them, I, I really don't know. And the end, I created a different kind of world. So I want people to start thinking about how they're acting in this one, and maybe they'll start appreciating everybody in the in the world that we live in. So this that's title is coming out June 26, and I've got some really great reviews. Some people love it, and some people said like, "Are you serious?" And you know that's okay. I don't care. But my, my review is on just reviews for your book, and I've got, like, the minute I put it there this morning, like 10 people read it already and said they loved it. So that that's something. Everybody's reading reading what I wrote, and I'm really glad. So thank you so much. Um, when the book comes out, what did you say, next year it's coming out in 2022? That's correct. The sequel is called Mission 7, and that will be out next year. That's good. Are you going to do another show on? Are you going to do another uh, tour with Partners in Crime? Because I'm doing one in August for my book. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, They've been wonderful, and uh, do you plan on they doing are. that? Uh, absolutely. They they are the best. I really think they are the best. And I always get you know mostly positive reviews, and you know there are people that write negative ones, and I just go like, what can I say? You just don't understand greatness. But I want to thank you so much. Everybody, it's Memorial Day. Let's remember those that serve our country. And let's remember that it's a beautiful day outside. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe. And bye.